Hello, you are listening to Getting After Lefty, starring Gary Gatehouse, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have good questions on the show, like... Uh, Mr. Obama, sir, I have a, just a quick question, if I can. Um, I was wondering, you know, just uh, where... Uh, where the hell is your birth certificate? You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Wednesday edition, Hump Day in America, Hump Day in the Free World. Getting after Lefty. Yeah, what an election night. Wow. Or caucus or whatever the hell you want to call it that you folks up in Iowa do. First of all, congratulations to Mr. Ted Cruz for winning uh, the Iowa caucus. Congratulations to Mr. Donald Trump coming in second, Rubio third, and Mr. Ben Carson fourth. Congratulations to all you guys out there that worked your tails off, all your staff, everybody was out there. Pushing your agenda, getting everything lined up for you to have a shot at winning. Ted Cruz came out on top. Congratulations to you all from the Gary Gatehouse radio show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there was a headline today that kind of struck home with me. And the headline read, Donald Trump may be the only candidate in United States history who could shrink the size of the federal government simply by swearing in as commander-in-chief, in other words, getting elected president. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I looked at that and I said, what are they talking about here? What are they talking about? Well, as I read a little bit further, and I have to put a caveat on this, what I'm going to refer to next does not refer to all you folks on the East Coast, okay? It, do- it just doesn't. There are some good people up there. But the headline that Gary Gatehouse created from that headline I just read you, East Coast Socialist Running Our Federal Government, You Want Proof. Well, listen to this. Now, there was a poll of federal employees conducted by Government Business Council back January 20th through 26th, and it found that a Trump victory could result in roughly 25% 25% of the government's workforce quitting. That's why the, gov- the, the headline read, Donald Trump may, the, may be the only candidate in U.S. history who could shrink the size of the federal government simply by swearing in as commander-in-chief. 25% of the government's workforce said they would quit if he was elected. Now, advocates of limited government have an extra reason to cheer. Yay! 25% of government workforce quitting? Get going and don't let the door hit you in the backside on the way out. But you know, a majority of the respondents to this poll who could leave are career employees in the GS-13 and higher ratings in the federal government. The GS rating goes from GS-1 all the way up to GS-15 and it goes into executive branch and all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of pay grades. When I retired, I was a fourteen. The website, which is dedicated to federal managers and executives, surveyed 688 federal employees and its results have a margin of error of plus or minus 4 percentage points. Now, 25% said they would leave the service, the federal service. Federal employees, 25% said they would leave at positions and grades of GS-13 and higher. All executive 
positions, supervisor positions, mid-level and upper-level management positions. They said they'd leave if Donald Trump was elected. Now, other key results in the poll included such things as 59% would be embarrassed by a Trump administration. 59% of those they polled said that they would be embarrassed if Donald Trump was elected president. 56% said they would support President Obama if he wanted to run for a third term. I'm going to repeat that. 56% of those federal employees polled at the upper level in the executive branches and supervisor and so on branches of the federal government, 56% said they would support President Obama if he wanted to run for a third term. 73% of Democrats gave Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders a favorable rating. 73% gave a fellow socialist, I guess. They're Democrats. So they gave a federal a, a, a fellow socialist a thumbs up, a favorable rating, 73%. 59% of all respondents supported Obama's executive orders on gun control. 59% of all respondents, federal workers that they polled, supported Obama's executive order on gun control. 31% identified as Democrats, and here's the kicker, 42% as Republicans, 19% declined to answer, and 8%, hell, they didn't know what they were. All they knew was they just worked for the federal government. But you know, ladies and gentlemen of America, this is our federal workforce. And patriots, our federal government, for the most part, is ran by East Coast socialists at all levels, all GS levels, in the civilian cadre of fellow federal workers. You know, this is so scary to say the least, that these are our government is ran by socialists and Marxists and people who would vote for Obama a third term. They don't even know the Constitution, I guess. Or they throw it out the window. This is scary. These people would vote Obama into a third term. They, so, they support Obama's executive orders on gun control. And I ask the question, why isn't the mainstream media carrying this story? Why isn't the mainstream media carrying this story? But here's the bottom line. When we talk about federal workers, we know we have a whole federal workforce in the thousands that are on the payroll and we pay them to do a job. But they have political uh, ambitions, or they have, they side with a certain political ideology, and from what this poll says, they all, most of them, side with the ideology of socialism and the Democrat Party. But we have another cadre of people that are employed by us as well, and they are federal employees. They are employees of ours, the people who are elected to the House of Representatives, and the people who are represent uh, re, uh, elected to the House, the Senate. They're, they work for us. And based on these polls and stuff, the bottom line, if you look at the Republican candidates, and bear in mind, they are working for us. Every one of these candidates is working for us. Cruz, Ted Cruz, government worker. He's a senator. He's a government worker. Rubio, government worker, a senator. Trump, 
private sector does not work for the government in any stretch of the imagination. Ben Carson, private sector, does not work for the government. The rest are all governor employees at the state level. They all work as governor, and they all are employed by the people of that state. They are government employees. What's that tell you? When you listen to the numbers in this poll, and we know that 80% of all agencies in the federal government, probably higher than that, are located in Washington, D.C., the epicenter of inside the beltway socialism, communism, progressivism, Marxism, all kinds of isms. And the epicenter of all our government resides there. And it's ran by Republicans, and it's ran by Democrats, and it's ran by people who are employed at the federal level, GS1 through GS15 and above. What, what would one come away when looking at the numbers in that poll? What would one think? What would one think about how are we folks in the South? How are we folks in the Midwest, flyover country, the far North? How are we represented? When you leave Washington, D.C., and you get out of that little uh, area there of uh, Southern Maryland and, and Virginia and that little enclave of socialists and Marxists and progressives that run the government from top to bottom, senators, representatives, federal workers, not all of them are socialists, don't get me wrong. What is one out of here in, in the heartland, in the South, supposed to think? When we have people, Ted Cruz, he's a senator. He's a government worker. He works for us. We hired him. We sent him to Washington, D.C. from the great state of Texas. Marco Rubio, he's a senator. He was hired for the people of Florida and sent to Washington, D.C. to represent the people of Florida. Where does their real heart lie? Words are cheap. Words are cheap. You can get out there and you can wind Rubio up like a chatty Cathy doll. Pull the string and he will spew the same message time after time after time and never miss a heartbeat. Never miss a, a syllable. Ted Cruz, the man comes across as a great guy, but one don't know. One don't know his ties are in D.C. That is where he hangs his hat. Same with Rubio. Then you have two guys on the outside looking in. Mr. Donald Trump, private sector, billionaire, businessman, entrepreneur. Mr. Ben Carson, pediatrics, a, a neurosurgeon, very accomplished, internationally known for his accomplishments in neurosurgery on children. Outside looking in. And the rest of the clan, they're all governors. Minus one, Farino, she's from the private sector. I forgot about her. Not too hard to forget about her, though. But anyway, she's private sector. The rest, the people of the United States or the, their respective states hired these people to work for them. Where, does they, where, does they, where do they hang their hats, these governors? Where do they hang their hats? State capitals in the respective states that they govern. That's where they hang their hats. 
You know, ladies and gentlemen, I guess what I'm trying to say is we have never tried it before. It seems like America's always wanting to try something new. America's always wanting to try to reach out to some new way of accomplishment, new way of pushing America forward, new way of bringing America up to even a newer level of accomplishment. And we've tried the whole route in the modern era for years now to elect somebody from a governorship or somebody from the House of Representatives and every once in a while a senator, not very often. Have we ever tried to elect a person who has never been in touch to the level where the influence of the federal government and the whole scheme of things inside the Beltway and those little ivory towers and stuff. Have we ever elected somebody that is is not a part of that? Like I said, on the outside, looking in. Have we ever tried that? Now, we have two, three individuals now that are those type of people. Carson, Trump, and Farino. They're the only three that have no connection with the federal government as far as employment, etc. The only three. How about it, America? Do you think maybe this might be a time to try on the old experiment? We do it a lot. Ex- uh, elect somebody that is not part of the establishment, the status quo? Do you think maybe we could jump in there and elect Trump, Carson, or Referino? Get them into the White House and see what happens? You look at their accomplishments. They accomplish things. And when they don't accomplish things, they are held accountable if they screw up. A senator or a House of Representatives or a governor is very seldom held accountable. Oh, yeah, they might not get reelected, but that's very seldom. They're not held accountable. If they if they blow $550 billion of America's taxpayer money, oh, so what? April 16th is coming right along here, and we'll get another trillion in the bank and get to spend that. They don't know how to run a business. They just know how to spend our money. And they can make all the promises in the world. All the promises in the world. Like I said, word the words that come out of their mouth, why well, hell, they're cheap. Words are cheap. It's what happens after you say what you're going to do is what counts. And in the real world, in the business world, if you say you're going to do something, you're a business and your reputation's on the line if you don't. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Wednesday edition of the Getting After Lefty Show. And it's his hump day in America, hump day in the free world. You know, before we go to break, all the news media was just lit up today and it was all talking about the Iowa caucus and who won and who didn't. But I have to say one thing before we go to break. I've never seen a person that felt, you could tell, she felt that she had been slighted. She felt that she was owed something. And she was angry, extremely angry. I'm talking about Hillary Clinton. 
She is a poor excuse for any person that would want to run for the highest office in the land. She's a poor excuse for a human being. Her and her old, decrepit, perverted husband standing behind her with old gray hair and all kind of hunched over, and Hillary was up there ranting and raving like a mad woman. Eyes bugged out. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe that anybody on her side of the aisle would even back her for dog catcher, let alone President of the United States. Liberty Council is a litigation, education, and policy organization established to preserve and advance religious freedom, the sanctity of human life, and the family. We have offices in various places around the United States and affiliate attorneys in all 50 states, plus a major outreach in the nation of Israel. Don't get discouraged about what's happening in our country and around the world. Get encouraged. Get on your knees in prayer and get involved. Stand with us in preserving our Judeo-Christian values. Visit lc.org. You are listening to the sound of the heartbeat of an unborn baby just 28 days after conception. Every day, more than 3,000 abortions are performed in this country, and each abortion stops the heartbeat of a living unborn baby. Since 1973, the annual number of abortions has gone from approximately 750,000 a year to just under 1.3 million. Abortion isn't rare or safe, only legal. Legalized abortion on demand has taken the lives of more than 50 million unborn children and left those women who have had abortions more vulnerable to physical, mental, and emotional complications. We at National Right to Life are working to break this cycle. We are working for the day when both mother and child will be welcomed, loved, and protected. Won't you help us? This has been a Perspective on Life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website, nrlc.org. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on freedominamerica.us. Tune in 24-7 to listen to Gary. First of all, all you carpetbaggers out there, stand up and take your hats off. is some news from Texas that I want to pass along to the whole country, a news that will affect the whole nation. So stand by. You know, folks, I read a headline the other day, and it's local news, something that probably didn't get out past the borders of Texas, but it's a headline that should be nationwide. The news that is involved, or is the context that falls underneath this headline, affects every American. Every American, your children, your grandchildren, future generations. Now, the governor of Texas, my governor, Mr. Greg Abbott, and U.S. Representative 
Henry Kaliar, a Laredo Democrat, a Laredo Democrat, pressed the United States Department of Homeland Security this last Monday to explain why the agency plans to reduce its aerial surveillance of the Texas-Mexico border. They want to know why. Now, in a letter to the DHS, Secretary Jay Johnson, the lawmaker said the cut to a requested 3,805 hours of aerial detection and monitoring in 2016 amounts to 50% less coverage than recent years. This letter went to Jay Johnson, Secretary of Homeland Security. And it says, given the recent surge of migrants, illegal aliens, let's be, let's be blunt about it, during, given the recent surge of illegal aliens from Central America and Cuba, along with our southern border of Texas, we believe the Department of Homeland Security should request more surveillance and security resources, not fewer, said Governor of Texas, Mr. Abbott. And this was all in the letter that went to the Department of Homeland Security. The pair, uh, the governor and the Democrat senator, were also reminded, also reminded Jay Johnson that in September of this last year, Abbott's office, Governor Abbott's office, asked for the Department of Homeland Security for more aerial resources and U.S. Border Patrol agents, but the request was never even acknowledged. Never even acknowledged, ladies and gentlemen. Now, a Department of Homeland Security spokesperson said the agency would respond directly to the governor and the congressman's request or concerns. Monday's request, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Monday's request comes as the CBR is reporting a new surge in the number of undocumented illegal immigrants crossing the Rio Grande. From October to December of 2015, about 10,560 unaccompanied minors entered the United States through the Texas border illegally, through the Rio Grande Valley sector of the U.S. Border Patrol. That mark is a 115%, ladies and gentlemen, increase over the same time frame as in 2014. The amount of family units, illegal family units, defined as at least one child and an adult guardian or parent has increased by 170% to 14,336 people in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. Now, the El Paso sector also saw 1,030 unaccompanied minors, an increase of almost 300%. In this last Monday's letter, the governor also requested a detailed breakdown, uh, breakdown of how the Department of Homeland Security determined the reduction in aerial surveillance was warranted and information on how staffing and operation levels would be affected in conducting surveillance. While Governor Abbott has also spoken extensively about illegal aliens from Mexico and Central America, the letter marked the first time that Governor Abbott has referenced a recent surge of Cubans coming into Texas. Governor Abbott visited the island nation last year to explore expanding trade between 
Cuba, and Texas. During that trip, he spoke out about the current trade embargo, but not the migrant issue. During the 2015 fiscal year, about 28,400 Cubans entered Texas space through United States Customs and Border Patrol Protection, Laredo's field office, which extends from Del Rio to Brownsville. Lady, that, ladies and gentlemen, that is a huge stretch of real estate. That's a huge stretch. That's compared, that 28,400 Cubans is compared to about 15,600 in 2014. The surge came after the Obama administration announced in 2014 its plans to reestablish ties with Cuba, leaving many Cubans fearing they will lose a special designation that allows them to apply for legal residency status or a green card after living in the country for a year. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the Obama regime, the Obama, the Obama regime has turned its back on we the people. He has not only turned his back on we the people, he has allowed those peoples that are supposed to uphold the law not to uphold the law when it comes to immigration. He's turned his back on us. The federal government has turned its back on us. I live in southern Texas. And I can tell you firsthand, when you go into a city like San Antonio, and you go into any large establishment, I'll just say one, is uh, Kmart, you will hear more Spanish spoken than English. If you go into the southern part of San Antonio, you might as well be in, be in Mexico. They have their own car dealerships. They have their own radio stations. They all have their own newspapers. They have their own way of life down there. And if you're a gringo, you've really got to watch yourself in some areas of southern San Antonio. It's not what a lot of people who don't live here think it is. San Antonio is a beautiful city. When I lived here uh, back in the 60s, in the 50s, it was just a sleepy little South Texas town where everybody got along together. Then things started creeping up when I came back from Vietnam and I was stationed here in San Antonio. When I got, came back, things had changed. Things had changed. The demographics were starting to sway another way. Now you look at San Antonio. You look at southern uh, Texas. McGowan, you go down into the border towns. Not too many gringos around, but a whole lot of illegals that live in the United States house themselves in Texas. But now we have Homeland Security not even honoring their requirements to monitor the border, not honoring the Constitution to protect the security of the United States. And here we are, we the people, here in Texas, it's like an open door. It's like a turnstile. Anybody that wants to come in here, just come on in. We'll take care of you. As they filter all the way through the United States, get on the buses here in Texas, and they head to the East Coast or the West Coast or wherever they want to go. And who ends up footing the bill for all these illegals? You and I do. We do. The federal government don't give a damn. They could care less. 
I would like to invite all you, if you have a chance, to come to southern Texas and look around. You'll be amazed at what you see in here. And it damn sure won't be a lot of English. You better be able to speak some Spanish. You be able to, you better be able to understand a bit of Spanish. Because if you don't, you're going to have a hard time getting a job down here in a lot of sectors. You just are. Spanish is first. That is the language. It has circumvented. It has moved the English language and put it as the second language of Texas and southern Texas anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going on in our country. And it's spreading all over the country. And there's a big movement, has always been a big movement, to make English the first language of America. The only language of America to conduct business in. And I would think, Mr. Donald Trump, it would behoove him to take that up as one of the things that he would make sure happened if he were elected president. And if he did, and he was elected, I would say muy bueno to Mr. Donald Trump. Get it done. Get it done, Mr. Trump. We'll be back after the Phyllis Shafley Report. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Eagle Forum, dedicated to keeping you informed and helping win the battle against forces that would deny freedom of religion, redefine the family, and mock traditional values. Now, here's author and founder of Eagle Forum, Phyllis Schlafly. When Paul Ryan ran for Speaker of the House of Representatives, he said, Republicans need to move from being an opposition party to being a proposition party. After a record-breaking eight years as the top Republican on the House Budget Committee, followed by a stint on Ways and Means, Ryan seemed well-prepared to lead a newly-charged House Republican majority toward reclaiming the power of the purse, which the framers of our Constitution intended. Well, the results are now in, and they're not good. Ryan has proved no better than his predecessor, John Boehner, in cutting wasteful spending, reforming the tax system, defunding liberal interest groups, or instituting good conservative policies. The 2,000-page, trillion-dollar, consolidated, omnibus spending bill, which the Republican Congress approved and President Obama signed a week before Christmas, violates every promise that Republicans made to the voters who had rewarded them with landslide victories in the 2010 and 2014 midterm elections. It's no wonder that betrayed Republican voters have adopted a throw-the-bums-out attitude that supports the presidential campaigns of Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and Dr. Ben Carson. Democrats lost no time gloating over what Chuck Schumer called a great victory for the principles Democrats stand for. Besides Planned Parenthood, which was caught selling body parts from aborted fetuses, the omnibus continues high levels of spending for such liberal priorities as the Legal Services Corporation, which sues states on behalf of illegal aliens. The bill increases the annual budget of the Internal Revenue Service despite that agency's documented record of abusive misconduct toward Tea Party conservatives. 
For 50 years, most presidential candidates have been chosen behind closed doors by millionaire kingmakers and the liberal media. How can the grassroots pick the 2016 candidates? Start by going to egoforum.org and getting your own copy of the expanded edition of Phyllis Schlafly's best-selling book, A Choice, Not an Echo, at a special discount. That's egoforum.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Well, welcome back to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Getting after Lefty. Uh, you're going to have to excuse me today, folks. Uh, I'm fighting a little bit of cedar fever. It's kind of got into my throat. You can probably tell. It's a nasty situation down here with that cedar in Gary Gatehouse. This wipes me out. Hope you all having a great day wherever you're at in God's big, beautiful world. All you folks over there in Europe, all you folks over there in Great Britain, especially my friends down there in London, I hope you're having a fantastic day. Wish the hell I was there having a pint. you folks out there that wrote and asked me about my hot rod and what kind of engines in it and what I'm going to do with it before the cruise season starts and all that. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been sitting around here with a notepad and by the time I totaled up everything I would like to do with it, I'd go have to take out a loan. And I ain't about to do that. We'll be changing out the camshaft, and we'll be changing out the valve train. Be putting some Windsor uh, 351 Windsor heads, Windsor Junior cylinder heads on it, and a few other little things to kind of give it a little more throaty sound, if you know what I mean, and maybe a few more horsepower. (laughs) Horsepower, that's the name of the game. That's right. Hey, didn't you all ever watch Gas Monkey Garage? I love that show. It's a great show if you're into hot rod, you're a motorhead, a gear gearhead. I never miss it. I just wish I had that guy's money. Man.
Coming up, we're going to be talking about sanctuary cities in the United States of America. I call them city-states. Sanctuary cities. How many of you people out there know what a sanctuary city is? How many of you folks out there know where they are scattered throughout the United States? You'd be surprised. Well, Super Bowl's coming up. Daytona 500's around the corner. And us baseball freaks all know what happens after that. Spring training and bang, right back into baseball season again. Man, it just seems like the World Series is finished, doesn't it? And here we are talking about spring training. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> All you folks up on Twitter, I hope you're having a great day. Pounding that keyboard to death. Getting that word out. By the way, you can visit Gary Gatehouse on Twitter if you go up on the GAL Network up on Twitter. That's where Gary lives when he's on Twitter. The GAL Network. Drop by. Leave me a message. Now the headline reads, City-States on the Rise and the Feds Say Nothing. Have a listen to this. Will you just listen to this? Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Wednesday threatened to withhold state grant money to Dallas County. Abbott has accused the Democratic sheriff there of not detaining undocumented immigrants as requested by federal authorities. Analysts said the warning that extended to sheriffs across the state was mostly aimed at placating Republicans, many of whom want a special legislative session to crack down on cities they see as offering sanctuary to immigrants. But Dallas County Sheriff Lupe Valdez has said her office is a abiding by federal guidelines. So far this year, the governor's office said it has issued over $4 million in funding to sheriffs, with $78,000 in grants to Dallas County. Lupe Valdez, Dallas County Sheriff. Lupe Valdez, Dallas County Sheriff. Illegals, Sanctuary City. Sanctuary cities crossed the 300 mark with Dallas and Philadelphia. The number of sanctuary cities has crossed 300 in a rapid expansion, ladies and gentlemen, despite public protest and moves in Congress to cut, cut off funding, uh, funding. Now, the Center for Immigration Studies has updated its list of these sanctuary cities. I call them city-states because they reside within the United States, but they do not adhere to a lot of federal law. They tell us to go stick it, and they do what they damn well please when it comes to illegal immigrants, illegals, aliens, whatever the hell you want to call them. They break into our country and come across the border in Texas and come and filter their way up into Texas and all points north, south, east, and west into the United States. And all these major cities, over 300 of them now, sanctuaries for illegals. They allow illegals to stay there without turning them over to federal authorities 
Knowing that these illegals are breaking federal laws, immigration laws, the sheriffs and the mayors of these cities and towns and counties that sign on to these sanctuary cities' uh, ideology are breaking federal law. Now, like I said, the Center for Immigration Studies has updated its list to include Dallas County in Texas, Philadelphia, five Kentucky counties, and possibly the whole state of Massachusetts as areas where federal law enforcement demands for information and access to jailed illegal aliens will be denied by the city fathers of those cities and counties. They will not allow the federal government to go in and take these illegal aliens out and prosecute them and deport them. Thus, sanctuary cities. Now, this lady, Jessica M. Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies, gave some examples of the new city, counties, and states that have joined in the sanctuary movement of denying federal demands, denying federal demands while also getting federal funding from we the taxpayers. Outgoing uh, Outgoing Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter who had long maintained obstructive sanctuary policies, undid them before leaving office in December of 2015. One of the very first acts of the new mayor, Jim Kenney, within hours of his swearing in and after accepting some homemade bread baked by illegal aliens, was to institute a new sanctuary policy. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this flies in the face of all of us Americans who live in our country, we cannot even rely on our mayors and our governors of certain states to uphold the federal laws, which, by the way, are we are held to the feet to the fire every day. We have to abide by them. Why aren't our legals? Why are these city-states, as I call them, these sanctuary cities, why in the hell are they getting away with this? Now, in addition to Dallas County, Other new sanctuary jurisdictions include the city of Lawrence, Massachusetts, and five counties in Kentucky. In addition, in last December, a committee of the Massachusetts legislature approved a strict and far-reaching sanctuary bill. On Monday, a key appropriation subcommittee chairman, Texas Republican John Culberson, sent a letter to Attorney General Loretta Lynch to stop funding cities that reject justice and homeland security demands for information and access to illegal jailed immigrants. Those illegals that are in jail. The federal government wants access to them to get them out of our country. So patriots, let me ask you a question. Democrats run large cities for the most part and some counties. Now, they defy federal law. Sanctuary cities. These are not American cities. They are city-states within the United States, not adhering to federal law and denying those agencies that would arrest and deport illegal aliens that reside in these cities, these city-states, these sanctuary cities, that protect illegals, all the expense of law. We pay for it all. Us law-abiding American citizens. What about Cruz? What would he do? What about Rubio? What would he do? What are they going to bring to the table? 
What are you going to say about sanctuary cities on the campaign trail? I have yet to hear anything about it. How about you, Donald Trump? Are you going to get on board? Are you going to get on board and start pushing the federal government? You have the bully pulpit. pulpit. All of you guys do right now. You can speak to the American people through the campaign process. These sanctuary cities fly in the, in the face of the average American. Why are they getting away with it? I'll tell you why. Because they're all ran by Democrats. And we've seen a prime example of what Democrats are Monday night when Hillary Rotten Clinton and Bernie Sanders were running as socialists trying to out-commie each other. That's what we're faced with. Can you imagine if either one of them become President of the United States? It'll be not sanctuary cities. It'll be sanctuary USA. And we the people, we people who are here legally, we were born here, or naturalized citizens, whatever, we're going to get the short end of the stick, which we already are. The federal government, why they could give a damn about us. They really could. They don't give a damn about us. They take us for granted every damn day. It's a sorry mess, ladies and gentlemen, that we live in a country where the representatives that we elect, they work for us. But in reality, they don't work for us. They work for illegals. They work for any other Tom, Dick, and Harry that is against America, fund, give billions of dollars to Iran, whatever. They don't care. The federal government doesn't give a hoots about us at all. They could give a crap about us. Now, like I said, there's four people running for the nod from the Republican Party to run for the White House. Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Mr. Ben Carson. There's four right there. Out of the four, I'm afraid I'm going to have to pick either Trump or Carson because I'm kind of getting shaky knees, weak in the knees about Mr. Ted Cruz. Some people are saying that he is a Trojan horse. And after all, he does hang his hat in Washington, D.C., the same place that Paul Ryan, Harry Reid, Nancy Pelosi, that whole damn bunch hang their hats. And like I just said, they are the federal government, and they don't give a damn about us. Somewhere in a bunker in Phoenix, Arizona, rebooting Liberty Radio Network and Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Tune in. See what Gary's up to. See what Rebooting Liberty Radio Network's up to. Conservative talk at its best. Tune in to Gary every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Rebooting Liberty Radio Network. Be there! One in 33 babies is born with a birth defect, but mothers-to-be can help give their babies a healthy start. 
This is registered dietitian Melissa Joy Dobbins for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics with your Eating Right Minute. There are some simple steps women can take to prepare for a healthy pregnancy. Take 400 micrograms of folic acid each day. Don't smoke or drink alcohol. And talk to your doctor about any vaccines or medications you take. Maintain a healthy weight gain during pregnancy. And if you have diabetes, keep it under control. Remember, make regular visits to see your health care professional. For help choosing foods during your pregnancy and after baby is born, see a registered dietitian. Encouraging you to eat right, I'm registered dietitian Melissa Joy Dobbins with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Hey, this is Tex Officer down here in Texas. When I'm not rocking the house, I like to listen to the Getting After Lefty show with Gary Gatehouse. Gary is exposing the liberal socialist agenda. He is kicking liberals' asses and taking names. You keep it up, Gary. We're growing like a big old army. Well, I see by the clock on the wall, we're just about due for the five-minute news on the hour, so uh, I thought I would just kind of segue into the news with maybe a little country swing. How about it? Every one of them. All you folks out there, all you desperados and all you guys and gals that are running from your exes or your ex, Texas is a big state, man. You can get lost down here and nobody will ever find you. Stay tuned for the second hour. I think that bunch of Billy Bob and Pearl, I think they're going to show up again. You know, I came in here today into the studio, and Carl was asleep on the couch. And I went over and had a look at him, and there was, I counted 12 empty Lone Star beer bottles laying on the floor. Carl was laying on his back. And he had a Superman comic book covering his face. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about this guy. He comes in and drinks my beer, reads Superman comic books, and he claims to be a cowboy. The beer, I can understand that. Superman comic books? Oh, man. These guys... Are crazy.
Stand by, I got some information for you. The rhetoric coming out of Washington, D.C. Tired and old and decrepit. But there's a dude up there trying to give it a new look, a new sound. But he ain't fooling nobody. Now, I have a listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, this, when you hear this, and you hear the wording, and you hear the way it's put out there, I'm sure you're going to say to yourself, damn, I've heard this same crap for the last 10 years. Have a listen. Look, we are all angry. We are all angry that the country is headed in the wrong direction. We're angry we're not doing what we need to do to defeat ISIS. We're angry that we have a porous border. We're angry that people aren't getting raises. We're angry that we've had 2% something growth for 10 years. We're angry that a debt crisis is on the horizon and we've done nothing to fix it because of a progressive president. So yeah, we're angry, but the key here is take that anger and channel it constructively into action. Let's, let's take it and harness it into action. And let's go out and give a positive message, a hopeful message, an optimistic and inspirational message to our fellow citizens in America to tell them that it doesn't have to be this way. That what's happening in this country does not have to continue. We can get better. We can improve things. We can get our country on the right track. And that anger needs to be channeled. And that's what we're trying to say. As if you didn't know, that was uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan spewing the same old tired rhetoric. Listen, you know, we've, we've heard the same old inside-the-beltway bull crap for years. We've been hearing it from years coming from the Republican leadership. Same old tired words, same old tired promises, same old tired rhetoric. Sorry, Paul Ryan, and the rest of you liars in D.C. These words just don't work anymore. They don't resonate. Why in the hell do you think that we've got all these people raising hell throughout the United States that are Republicans raising hell with you folks up in D.C.? Words, no action. We the people have caught on and we know how you operate. Bottom line, we are sick and tired of this same old crap being shoveled out of D.C. and broadcast by the propaganda arm of inside the Beltway, political cartel, the mainstream media. We've fed up, we've had it, and there's going to be a lot of you missing in your seats come next election when you come out for re-election. We're coming after you. We're going to be handing out the pink slips. And hopefully one of two or three guys is going to be occupying the White House that don't sign on and don't spew the same rhetoric that you folks have been shouting to us, yelling to us for the last 10 or 15 years. We are tired of it. We're fed up with it. We've had it. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Wednesday edition, we're breaking for the five-minute news, so just hang in there. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Show. Gary will be back after the Fox 5-minute news break. Please stand by. 
Fox News Radio. I'm Kathleen Maloney. After his narrow loss in Iowa, Democrat Bernie Sanders is on a roll. His campaign saying it has raised about $3 million in the past 24 hours. That's the biggest single-day haul of the presidential campaign. The senator continuing to stay on message. At the end of my first term as president, we will not have more people in jail than any other country. Sanders at a rally in Claremont, New Hampshire. The GOP candidates hit the ground running in New Hampshire, but not without some jabs. The top three candidates out of Iowa, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, and Marco Rubio, came into New Hampshire and got hit with a stiff breeze of criticism from the other candidates focusing on the first of the nation primary state rather than Iowa. And the Iowa champion, Ted Cruz, was under fire from all of them. He had to apologize, however, for his campaign tweeting out that Ben Carson was withdrawing from the race yesterday. Carson had announced he was leaving the campaign trail to return to Florida, and when the Cruz campaign heard it on CNN, they thought that meant he was withdrawing. When Carson denied it, he apologized. Even if it had been a dirty trick, which Carson said it was, it's nothing compared to what happens in New Hampshire and South Carolina now that the Midwestern civility of Iowa is in the history books. Fox's Carl Cameron, another case of Zika confirmed in the U.S. And it had nothing to do with mosquitoes. The Dallas County, Texas Health Department says there has been a case of sexually transmitted Zika. The phenomenon had been reported previously outside the U.S. but not confirmed. Fox's Evan Brown, the CDC confirming the Texas patient had sexual contact with someone who became ill after returning from Venezuela, where Zika is present. Stocks take a dive again. The Dow losing 296 points, S&P slipping 36, NASDAQ down 103 points. You're listening to Fox News Radio, fair and balanced. Okay, gang. So, chances are there'll never be an emergency ever, ever again. Mm-hmm. But, just in case, let's talk about a plan. Okay. So, who's going to do what? Anyone? Uh... Yeah, okay, perfect. We'll figure it out as we go. So, who is going to grab the go bag? What's a go bag? It is a bag we do not have that is filled with things we really, really need in an emergency. Guess we won't have to worry about it then. Ah, good point. So, uh, we all know who to call if something happens then, right? I'd have to call Jill, Devin, Melissa, Karen, and... Bruce. And I will try to call all of you, but Greg doesn't have a cell phone. Dad's phone will have a dead battery. No doubt. And Julie will be on the phone with Jill, Devin, Melissa, Karen, and Bruce. Well, this is great. <laughs> I am so glad that we don't have a plan. I know. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. The family of the armed Oregon occupier who was shot and killed is concerned about a cover-up. In a statement, the family lays out a list of what they consider to be inconsistencies. Most importantly, that video of the shooting released by the FBI shows Lavoie Finnegan with his hands in the air. He reaches down, though, twice. His family thinks he may have been reacting to having already been shot. Family attorney Todd McFarland says, bottom line, they need more information. We're asking for stuff that should be available right now. The FBI has analyzed all of that stuff, I'm sure, six ways from Sunday already. If they want to act like they're being transparent, then they should release that information. Like audio and dash cam video, along with Finnegan's vehicle. The FBI said Finnegan appeared to reach for his jacket pocket twice, and inside there, they found a loaded handgun. Jessica Rosenthal. Fox News. Lady Gaga making appearances at two of television's biggest events. 
A tribute to David Bowie performed by Lady Gaga as set for this year's Grammy Award ceremony happening February 15th. And Bowie's Let's Dance collaborator, Niall Rogers, will act as Gaga's musical director for the performance. The recent Golden Globe winner is also set to kick off Super Bowl 50 by singing the national anthem at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, where the Carolina Panthers will take on the Denver Broncos. The halftime show will include Coldplay and Beyonce. Michelle Polino, Fox News. The governor of Michigan ready to propose $30 million in state funding to help pay the water bills of Flint residents facing an emergency over the city's lead-contaminated water supply. Governor Rick Snyder expected to brief Flint officials and pastors about his plan tomorrow. Meanwhile, Flint Mayor Karen Weaver wants lead pipes removed from her city's water system as soon as possible. I'm Kathleen Maloney, Fox News Radio. You are listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. That's your darling, and welcome back to the second hour of the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, getting after Lefty. You know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a listener of mine sent me this article, and it's about what is transpiring in the state of Missouri, flyover country. And it's about Christians. It involves Christians. It involves the government of the great state of Missouri and the federal government. Now, it boils down to this. In recent years, there's been a study conducted, and it seems that in playground situations, where you have swing sets and sliding boards and all that stuff for little kids, they found that gravel that usually you usually see at the playgrounds is not really that safe for us little kids, our little kids. And us guys and, and gals that uh, grown up sliding down the sliding boards and on on the swings and stuff. We've known over a period of time, we most most can say that we've suffered uh, skin knees or cut knees or elbows by falling on that gravel that is spread around the playgrounds. Well, they ran a study and they found that it's safer to use repurposed tires. They cut them up into little bitty small chunks, rubber. And it's safer to use that than gravel. There are fewer injuries on the playgrounds. But the cases over a decision involving all this, this discussion about safety on the playground and using this, these repurposed tires, these automobile tires, which I said, like I said, are covered, cut up in little chunks and they take the place of gravel that you normally see on a playground. But the case, like I said, is is a decision by the state of Missouri to exclude one particular preschool and daycare center from the state program, the Missouri state program, that provides this safer material, these, these cut-up tires and chunks. And they're doing this. They're not providing this particular preschool access to this program that provides this material because this particular preschool is Christian. It is a. It is founded. Uh, the school is a Christian faith. Now, in the most recent ruling in the case, Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia, Missouri, versus Pauley, the Eighth U.S. Central uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, they have upheld a district court's decision that the state is justified 
in denying the center access to the program because it is ran by a Christian church. Lawyers now, now the lawyers with the Alliance Defending Freedom, who represent the Child Center, the Christian Child Center, they filed a brief just before Christmas, charging the state defines neutrality as treating religious organizations worse than everyone else. This is not neutrality, they said, but hostility towards a certain religion, uh, uh, the Christian religion, which violates the free exercise and equal protection clause. Now, the Alliance Defending Freedom contend the state should be choosing applicants neutrally and uh, the whole neutrality of the situation. It would neutrally select a scrap tire grant recipients based on merit without regard to religion, they said. The grant program uses funds raised from a fee on new tires paid by religious and non-religious citizens of Missouri alike. It funds only neutral materials, safe rubber playground surfaces, the criteria used to select grant recipients is completely neutral. Other than the blanket exclusion of churches, including factors such as, number one, a description of the need for the project, number two, description on how the rubber material will be contained or supported, and number three, the poverty level of citizens in the surrounding area. Now, ladies and gentlemen, can the state define religious neutrality as treating religious organizations worse than everyone else? Is there some reason that taxpayers who are Christians cannot partake in state programs because they are Christians? They pay taxes just like non-Christians. They send their kids to a, a Christian school. What is the problem with that? Child safety is just as important on church daycare playgrounds as it is in other day, uh, daycare playgrounds. Missouri and every state should understand that the United States Constitution prohibits religious hostility, which is what Missouri exhibited when it denied Trinity Lutheran scrap tire grant application. Now, folks, this case has huge implications for state constitutional provisions across the nation that treat religious Americans and organizations as inferior solely because of their religious identity. The Christian, uh, Trinity Lutheran Christian Learning Center in Columbia sought to participate in the Playground Scrap Trial uh, Surface Material Grant Program, and it was denied. The center wanted to remove and replace a large portion of the pea gravel surrounding on its playgrounds with a safer, recycled, pour-in-place, rubberized project, product. The Missouri Department of Natural Resources disqualified the Learning Center solely because Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia, Missouri operates uh, and it is part of a religious organization. And the, the city... Uh, this, the state cited a state constitutional limit on providing state assistance to churches. Patriots, this is just another example of how Christians are being persecuted in America today. You know, if that were a playground operated by a mosque for Muslims, there probably would not be any problem whatsoever. 
Just another day in America, ladies and gentlemen. Just another day in America. Christians thrown to the lions once again. We'll be right back after a few short messages. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Preacher of Conservatism. Coming at you all the way from South Texas, USA. I'm Marie Osmond. Choices, some are minor, others life-changing. But what if your small choices matter the most, like the stairs or the elevator, baked or fried? What if these small choices determine if you'll be the one out of every three women who die of heart disease this year? These choices might not seem life-changing today, but women are dying of heart disease at the rate of almost one per minute. Luckily, it's mostly preventable. Choose to act. Our hearts, our choice. Make your choice at GoRedForWomen.org. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Enjoy your freedom. Support Combat Wounded Veterans, presented by the Military Order of the Purple Heart. For more information, visit www.purpleheart.org. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Getting After Lefty Wednesday Edition. I think we all go insane once or twice a week. Listening to all the media and hoopla. Watching hags like Hillary Clinton spewing her guts and her progressive communist ideology all over the internet and all over the news media. And the news media is standing up there clapping his hands and raising their hands and saying, Right on, Hillary. I go insane. I really do. But coming up, uh, we have uh, a rumor that's going to blow your socks off. Stay tuned. Patriots, there's a rumor afloat. Now wait for this. This is exciting. There is a rumor out there that Mrs. Sarah Palin will soon be endorsing Donald Trump and will be present in Iowa before the caucuses kick off. The rumor also says that she will then be with Donald Trump on his campaign trail. Like I said, this is a rumor. But it's going through the media like I don't know, hot knife through a butter. Stick of butter. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Palin, the sweetheart of conservatism, 
a lady that we all love. Could this be true? Could this rumor really be true? That she will be endorsing Donald Trump and accompanying him on his campaign trail running up to the election for the Republican nominee for the presidency. Sarah Palin, Donald Trump. That's out of sight, man. But let's wait and see. Let's wait and see if this rumor has the mainstream media. It's all up and up and uh, rumbling about it. Let's wait and see if this rumor has merit. And I bet you all the socialist supporters out there are talking in a shaky voice. Sarah Palin, the one that they have tried to rake over the coals so many times. And if you listen to Sarah Palin in the past, and you listen to her commentary and the way she speaks, she's a female Donald Trump. Political correctness does not resonate with Sarah Palin, never has. She tells it like it is. She stands up for the American people and our way of life. Can you imagine Sarah Palin out on the campaign trail with Donald Trump? My God, what a winner that would be. What a winner that would be. Like I said, it's just a it's just a rumor right now. But it has the socialists and the communists and the Marxists and the progressives and the Democrat Party and yes, and even some circles, the Republican leadership talking with a shaky voice. Now there's something else going on here that we need to talk about. So grab yourself a chair and just pull it up to the kitchen table or grab yourself a chair and pull it up next to the table here and we'll have a, have a beer or two and we're going to talk about this. Now, I understand that out in the United States of America, coast to coast, north, south, east, and west, there are a lot of Glenn Beck supporters. I understand this. But I have to ask the question, has Glenn Beck, has he lost it? It seems like Mr. Trump thinks so. And as far as that goes, so do I, Gary Gatehouse. I think so, too. Now, there's a headline out there that says, Trump slams dopey Glenn Beck. Radio host spreads hoax tweet that Donald voted for Obama in 2008. Donald Trump slammed Glenn Beck as a dopey after the radio host disseminated a fake tweet that alleged the Republican presidential frontrunner voted for President Obama in 2008. Now, Beck tweeted a photoshopped image, originally from a fake TrumpTweet.com, that purported to show Mr. Trump's support for Mr. Obama. Why do you keep saying things like you did, didn't vote for Obama? Just admit it, at real Donald Trump, Mr. Beck demanded. Mr. Beck repeated the false claim Friday night on the Fox News. He voted for Obama in 2008. Come on, Bill. He told Bill O'Reilly on the Bill O'Reilly show. Beck, Glenn Beck, tweeted a photoshopped image originally from fake 
TrumpTweet.com that purported to show Mr. Donald Trump's support for Mr. Obama. And again, he said, why do you keep saying things like you didn't vote for, for Barack Obama? Just admit it, at real Donald Trump, Beck demanded. And he repeated that, like I said, on the O'Reilly show. But you know, ladies and gentlemen of America, what's going on with Trump these, I mean, Beck these days? What's going on with him? After realizing the image was fake, Glenn Beck took to Facebook to issue an apology. He said, and I quote, my apologies for the misinformation. I will always leave with my mistakes. It does appear this is this is to be fake. My fault for not checking it far enough myself. I take complete responsibility for the error. I owe Donald Trump an apology for the error of this tweet. More importantly, I owe you an apology for making the water muddy where the water is crystal clear on his record. Now, on Saturday in New York, Hampshire, in uh, New Hampshire, Mr. Trump took the opportunity to uh, go after Mr. Beck personally and professionally. And Trump said, this dopey guy, Glenn Beck, he looks like hell. No, he's not. Li- he's not. He- he's like a dope. And I've watched him cry on television all the time. He's doing very badly. His thing is falling apart. His company is falling apart. And he went on to say, Mr. Beck is only bitter because he refuses to give an interview. This is Donald Trump talking. Refuses to give Mr. Beck an interview. The reason he doesn't like me is because I didn't do his show. He asked me so many times, do my show, do my show. And I didn't do it because I don't respect him. I couldn't do it because I was so busy. I couldn't do his show, just time-wise. And all of a sudden, sudden, enough time goes by, so he starts hitting at me. But on Monday, this last Monday, Glenn Beck issued another Facebook post saying that while he knows the image he tweeted about Mr. Trump voting for Obama was a hoax. He still believes Mr. Donald Trump voted for Obama in 2008. In other words, Glenn Beck called Mr. Donald Trump a liar. Called him a liar. Now, I'm going to come clean. Gary Gatehouse is going to come clean. I confess. I used to be a follower of Glenn Beck. I used to put a, a lot of validity in what Glenn Beck said and his approach to exposing things in the political arena. Watching his show, his radio show that's televised, and watching his two sidekicks that are about as much sophomoric as one can can be, their childish way they conduct themselves on the air, with their comical approach to even the most serious issues, I just, I just had to turn Beck off. It seems everything revolves around him. And he comes off as the all-knowing, all-seeing guru. I really don't think his lack of uh, support of, of Trump is really going to make, make Trump feel bad. I don't think it is. Trump uh, can get along quite well without, without Glenn Beck's support. But you know, I, and again, I really don't think his lack of endorsement, his lack of support for any of the candidates 
is something that will impact on the support or outcome of the presidential candidate selection process. To me, Mr. Glenn Beck's days as a viable talk show host are fast fading away. I hate to say that because I used to like Glenn. He used to be come across as a nice guy, and he still does. I don't know what's going on in his life. I don't know what's going on with his company behind the scenes. I don't know what's going on with all the folks that re- are reportedly leaving him, two of his CEOs. All I know is Mr. Glenn Beck's probably in some hard times right now. But to make a statement like he did about Obama, Obama being voted uh, by uh, Trump, Trump voting for Obama, and without making really any clear investigation before he opened his mouth, you pay the price. You pay the price, Mr. Beck. You pay the price for flying off the handle. And what, ad- what advice, if I can give any in to you, is on your radio show, I used, to, I used to pay attention to it and listen to it a lot because it came up right before Limbaugh did. And writing down the road, whatever, I used to enjoy listening to how you expounded on how history played a part in today and yesterday and how it impacted on politics today. And that, that, that type of thing just, just, out, just amused me and it kept me tuned into you because it, I'm a, a history buff myself. But when you started going on all different kinds of directions on your radio show, it lost any validity with me, and especially those two guys you have sitting on either side of you. They're a mockery of you, Mr. Beck, and I think you would do well without them. I know I'm just a little measly radio show talk talk show host, that doesn't command the attention that you have, well over 50 radio, 500 radio stations nationwide. I know you work hard, and I know you have many, many irons in the fire, and I know you're a Christian, and I know you pay attention to a lot of issues that involve Christians. And I pray that you get your act together, and I pray that your radio show comes back around to where it used to be. Until then, when your show comes on, in my house, you're going to hear a click. The radio's being turned off. This is Gary Gatehouse, and we'll be back after a few short messages. Everybody's working for the weekend. This is Gary Gatehouse. Make sure you tune in to Restoration Radio International Weekends to listen to the Gary Gatehouse radio shows back to back. Wow. We'll be right back after the Liberty Council report. Stand by. Today is the March for Life rally in Washington, D.C. I am Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about this next on Freedom's Call. Today, Liberty Council will join hundreds of thousands who are gathering in Washington, D.C. for the annual March for Life rally. This is a somber day for us to remember and mourn the anniversary of Roe v. Wade and the 57 million children lost to abortion since the Supreme Court ruling. Please pray that politicians and those in the media listen and report on the devastation this has caused our nation. Millions of individuals who are not in the workforce or not creating jobs for others 
People who could be scientists, engineers, doctors, mothers, and others have all been lost to the tragedy of abortion. We need to end abortion and restore our sanctity of human life in America. The good news is that half of the people at this March for Life are in their 20s. This is good news for our future. In Congress, in the courtroom, and in your community, Liberty Council is advancing life, liberty, and the family. Log on to lc.org. Every day, nearly 4,000 unborn children are denied life and love. National Right to Life is working to change that. For more than 30 years, National Right to Life has worked through education and legislation to make sure that every child is given the opportunity to share their love, their gifts, and their talents with the world. Our work now is more critical than ever. Respect for life is being attacked on all fronts and at all stages, from the tiniest unborn child to the medically dependent and disabled to our elderly citizens. It is the support of our members, pro-life men and women from across the country, that helps to advance our cause. Join with National Right to Life and countless other pro-life men and women and make a unified stand for life. This has been a perspective on life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website, www.nrlc.org. That's nrlc.org. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show Wednesday edition. Hope you're having a great day wherever you're at in God's big, beautiful world. You know, patriots, we talk a lot about Obama and his love of the Muslim religion and his support of the Muslim religion and how he turns his back on Christianity and it seems like he's always chastising Christians for doing something wrong down through history, whatever. But he always has a good word for Muslims and Islam. He always has a good outstanding uh, way of looking at Islam and always praising them for what they uh, supposedly have done in the past in history, etc., Now, I want you to listen to this little speech he gave and see if you can detect his praise of Islam and see if you can detect his love of Islam and the Iranian people and the Iranian government, the people he's in bed with, the people who he just gave over a billion dollars to, the government he just said, yeah, go ahead and build your atomic bombs and nuclear bombs. Have a listen to what he has to say. Of course, uh, even as we implement the nuclear deal and welcome our Americans home, we recognize that there remain profound differences between the United States and Iran. We remain steadfast in opposing Iran's destabilizing behavior elsewhere, including its threats against Israel and our Gulf partners, and its support for violent proxies in places like Syria and Yemen. We still have sanctions on Iran for its violations of human rights, for its support of terrorism, and for its ballistic missile program, and we will continue to enforce these sanctions vigorously. Iran's recent missile test, for example, was a violation of its international obligations, and as a result, the United States is imposing sanctions on individuals and companies working to advance Iran's ballistic missile program, and we are going to remain vigilant about it. 
We're not going to waver in the defense of our security or that of our allies and partners. But I do want to once again speak directly to the Iranian people. Yours is a great civilization with a vibrant culture that has so much to contribute to the world in commerce and in science and in arts. For decades, your government's threats and actions to destabilize your region have isolated Iran from much of the world. And now our governments are talking with one another. Following the nuclear deal, you, especially young Iranians, have the opportunity to begin building new ties with the world. We have a rare chance to pursue a new path, a different, better future that delivers progress for both our peoples and the wider world. That's the opportunity before the Iranian people. We need to take advantage of that. You know, folks, you sometimes wonder if Obama's speechwriter isn't Valerie Jarrett. She's an Iranian. And a lot of people believe, as I do, that she runs the White House when it comes to affairs at dealing with the Middle East. But you know, Patriots, Obama tries to pass himself off as a Christian. And we who pay attention know he isn't. But like I said, do you think maybe Valerie Jarrett wrote that little speech? What a bunch of hogwash that was. But again, just another example of Obama's love for Muslims, Islam. Always praying Muslims, always praising them. Always and always finding faults with Christians. Oh, I forgot he is a Christian. Really? Give me a break. Patriots, this guy has not only sold out we the people, he has trashed our religion, Christianity, and pushes his Islam, his religion, onto us each and every day. Then we have a man like Donald Trump that stands up and says, we Christians should stand up for ourselves. We should be standing shoulder to shoulder to protect our religion. It's time we do that, patriots. We have a man in the White House. We have a mainstream media. We have many in Congress that are in bed with Islam. They support Islam and its cause. And if you read between the lines, they don't have no problem at all with Sharia law. They have no problem at all with Muslims cutting Christians' heads off in the Middle East. No problem whatsoever with the Obama regime. No problem whatsoever with the mainstream media. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'll give you another example. That Obama and his so-called regime is all in with Muslims. Remember how much he pushed Syrian refugees come into our country. He was talking about it every day. How great of an asset they would be to our country. How many refugees have been admitted to the United States, Syrian refugees, since the Paris attack? And how many Christians from the Middle East have been admitted to our country since the Paris attack? 482 Muslims have been admitted to the United States. Syrian refugees. How many Christians? One. Since the Paris attacks last November, 
with heightened concerns about potential security risk in the refugee admission program. 482 Muslims admitted, and only one is a Christian. One. The sole Christian among the 480 plus Muslims is identified by State Department Refugee Processing Center data as an adherent of the Greek Orthodox Church. Now, Christians account for an estimated 10% of the Syrian population. ISIS has frequently singled out Christians and other non-Muslim minorities in its brutal campaign in both Syria and Iraq, decapitating them, taking their goods, taking their families and separating them, selling their daughters off into sex slaves. These numbers don't lie. Apart from those Syrians that were admitted, 125 of them were men between the ages of 14 and 50. You know, ladies and gentlemen of America, when we talk about Obama and his hatred, and that's the way I put it, his hatred for Christianity and his love for his religion, Islam. Oh yeah, there's a lot of people out there that deny the fact that Obama's a Muslim. They've yet to connect the dots. Yet to listen to all the speeches he's made since day one coming on the scene as president on his apology tour to the Middle East. Apologizing to the Middle Easterns about we Americans, we the people, and our religion. Chastising Christians at the prayer breakfast. Constantly going after Christians in one way or the other. One can truly say who pays attention that Obama is a Muslim. He was raised a Muslim. He has no love whatsoever for Christians or the religion. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, you have a man like Donald Trump who spoke out, like I said earlier, and reminded Christians that we literally are on our own with this regime and with a lot of people that are in government. They side, they side, ladies and gentlemen, with Islam. And they throw Christians under the bus. Now there's something going on in Europe that we folks who pay attention know that is not right. We know places like Sweden, England, France, Germany, Italy are being overran by Muslim, mainly men, bringing the religion of Islam with them and their Koran and preaching all that the Islamic religion says about infidels that they have to demean infidels. They can use them the way they like. And they come to Europe with the open arms of European leaders saying, come on in. And yet the people of Europe are the ones who really suffer. Now there's news coming from Europe reporting on the continued rape and harassment of European women by filthy Muslim men. Now, if you go up on my 
website today, and you can type in Gary Gatehouse Radio Show at Wix, W-I-X, dot com. Or just Google Gary Gatehouse, or I'll post it later up on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm going to be posting an exclusive look at what Muslim women, Muslim men are doing to Swedish women. And how they look at Swedish women is nothing but a, literally a hunk of meat that they can use for sex and to rape. Women in, her, in Sweden, women in Europe, are being abused daily by Muslim men that have came to their countries, came to Sweden, came to Denmark, came to England, France, Germany, at the behest of their leadership, the European leadership, the European governments, with complete disregard for their European population. And some of these leaders in some of these countries have told the women of their countries that they're more or less going to have to suck it up and live with it. Because Muslims are here to stay. And what they do to European women is of no regard to the leaders of Europe. They could care less if you read between the lines. Because they're all in bed with Muslims as well. Now there's a woman who filmed being harassed by at least two Muslim men in Sweden. And she begins a recording after one groped her as she walked past. She confronted the men, and one of these men repeatedly asked her to make sex. Despite her angry refusal, the man continued to offer her money for sex. Here's a brief a brief narrative of what transpired on the video. The Muslim man, can I make sex with you? The Swedish woman, what did you say? The man, can I make sex with you? The Swedish woman, but he tried to touch my backside. Do you think that's okay? Man, who? The girl, hey, the guy who just walked past, your friend. Is it okay to touch my backside or what? The Muslim man, I don't understand what you mean. The Swedish woman, I'm sorry, what do you understand? He touched my backside. Your friend grabbed my backside. What do you want? What do you want? The, the Muslim man, no, no. Can I make sex with you? The Swedish woman, no, never. The man, the Muslim man, why? The Swedish woman, absolutely not. Go, leave. The Muslim man, why? The Swedish woman, I'm recording this whole thing. So yeah, mate, keep going. The Swedish man, the, the Muslim man, I'll give you money. The Swedish woman, what did you say? You think I'm a whore? The Muslim man, calm down, I'll give you money. The Swedish woman, what do you guys want? Now the whole context of this and the video will be embedded on the Getting After Lefty website. And I'll leave a link up on Twitter and a link on Facebook for you all to go up and have a look at this. This is sad. This is this is perverted. This is an infringement on that woman, that Swedish woman's right to be a human being, a woman, to walk the streets without being harassed by these slimeball, filthy-ass Muslims that come from the Middle East. Ladies and gentlemen of America, if we don't wise up real quick, it's coming to our country. Do you want your daughters 
groped and talked to like these people talk to this Swedish woman? I think not. I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry that their governments have let them down and will not stand by them. It's a kick in the teeth to all Europeans. It's not just happening in Sweden. It's happening in England, in this great city of London. It's happening all over Europe. And like I said, the leaders of those countries, well, they just let it happen. They do nothing about it. These atrocities committed against the women of Europe, the European women of Europe, by these filthy scumbags that come from the Middle East has got to stop. Where are the European men? Why aren't you standing up for your women? Are you hiding under your desks? Where are you? Let's get out there and protect the women of your country. Your government's not going to do it. It's up to you, men of Europe. Do you respect your women? Do you want these Middle Eastern slime balls groping your women? Do you want them walking by and grabbing your women by the butt? Do you want them telling them they want sex and will pay for it? Literally calling your European women whores? Come on, guys of Europe. Come on, men of Europe. Let's grow up big some big guys here. Let's stand up for your women, your moms, your daughters, your girlfriends. It's on you guys because your government damn well has thrown you all out in the cold. We'll be right back. Somewhere in a bunker in Phoenix, Arizona, rebooting Liberty Radio Network and Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Tune in. See what Gary's up to. See what Rebooting Liberty Radio Network's up to. Conservative talk at its best. Tune in to Gary every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Rebooting Liberty Radio Network. Be there! Hey, this is Gary Gatehouse, and I'd like to give you a hot flash here. Trade Martin, that's right, Trade Martin, famous producer... Famous music writer now has his own radio show on Sunday morning. That's right, Big Dog Radio. And you can get him on Big Dog Radio, blogtalkradio.com. Don't forget, every Sunday morning, 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. And to close out the radio show today, I have some comments I would like to make about the black community here in America. In 2014, the United States Census Bureau estimated 45 million African Americans in the United States, meaning that 14.3% of the total American population of 318.9 million is black. This includes those who identify as black only and as black in combination with another race. The black only category by itself totaled 42.2 million African Americans, or a total of 13.2% of the total population of the United States of America. According to 2012 U.S. Census Bureau American Community Survey, 
The poverty rate for all African Americans in 2012 was 28.1%, which is an increase from 25.5% in 2005. Actually, the poverty rate increased between 2005 and 2012 for even for every demographic of African Americans, except those over the age of 65, who experienced a decrease from 21.2 to 19 percent. Black families with children under the age of 18, headed by a single mother, had the highest rate of poverty in the United States, 47.5 percent compared to only 8.4 percent of married couples, black couples, here in the United States of America. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the amount of African Americans who receive public assistance, welfare, varies greatly depending on the type of assistance. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 11.5% of African Americans live in government housing or Section 8 housing, while 13.6% receive TANF cash assistance formerly referred to as welfare checks. Just over 25% of African Americans receive SNAP, S-N-A-P, benefits, formerly known as food stamps. All of these statistics include those who actually receive assistance and those who live with them. The largest benefit received by blacks is Medicaid, health insurance, which mostly consists of black children. About 41.5% of blacks' households were using SNAP food stamps in 2013, compared to 19% of all households and 11.4% of white households. These were, all, these were all sources that I looked at, all coming from the U.S. Census Bureau 2013. Historically, blacks have always voted for Democrats have always supported Democrat causes, and have always stood with Democrats on most issues, both political and economical and social. Not being uh, black myself, I have a different view on why blacks are economically, politically, educationally behind other race groups. That reason being they have sided over the decades with Democrats. The Democrats have managed to hoodwink the black community. Democrats constantly promise blacks that they will get them out of the ghetto and onto mainstream media, mainstream, yet that never happens. Democrat politicians always show up at black churches just before election time and spew their lies and promises to the black community. And what is really sad, most blacks buy into it. The black community, for the most part, lives in, a, in our larger cities. As for the most part, the largest cities of America are ran by Democrat mayors. With most cities, these most states these cities reside in being ran by Democrat governors. Keeping blacks on the welfare plantation is part of the Democrat plan from day one. And it was developed decades ago in the Democrat Party. Always holding a carrot out, but never coming through with the promises they make. Never allowing blacks access to those promises made by Democrat politicians. Bottom line here, there was a man running for the presidential nod on the Republican side. His name is Donald Trump. As we all know, he's a successful businessman and entrepreneur. 
who I believe sees no color, no skin color, but only sees Americans as for what they are, his people. It makes sense for African Americans to get behind Donald Trump. He is indeed a breath of fresh air in what has been stale politically air, political air for years. Mr. Trump will do America good. All of us, black, white, green, or yellow. I, Gary Gatehouse, support Donald Trump. And I hope the black community will rid itself from the shackles of the Democrat Party and get behind a man that will get all Americans out of the ditch and back on the main road again economically. Donald Trump, when he opens his mouth and makes promises, he will stand by those promises. They are not promises just to get votes and then leave us all laying by the roadside as he marches on. The black community, for decades and decades and decades, has been abused by the Democrat Party. The black community, for decades, has been told one lie after another about the, the Republicans, conservatives, and those folks, by all measures, are white folks. We white folks who really care about Americans don't look at color. We look at us all as Americans. When I served in Vietnam on the battlefield, I didn't look around to find another white guy to uh, climb in a foxhole with under fire. I looked at an American, American uniform. It didn't make any difference if he was black, white, green, yellow, Protestant, whatever. He was an American. And that's the way Americans should look at each other. That's the way Donald Trump looks at America and Americans. I honestly think, coming from the bottom of my heart, that black community and a black leadership, the conservative leadership, the, the leadership of the black churches of America, I honestly believe they would do well for their communities they would do well for their black constituents, their black congregations, the black people of America, who have just as much to do with the success of this country as any other race from day one. I firmly believe this with all my heart. And I honestly believe that Mr. Donald Trump does the same. Now, patriots, I had to say this. I had to put it out front because I've been getting a lot of emails asking me where I stand with the black community, where I stand with black folks. I have nothing wrong to say about black folks. Black folks are Americans. Asian folks are Americans. Hispanic folks that are here, all of these folks legally are Americans. White folks are Americans. We all have an American heritage. We all live under the same constitution. We all live under the same rules of law. We all have families we have to support. We all have moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, ancestors. We all have children, those of us who are married and do have children, who we worry about every day. Many Americans, black, white, green, yellow, worry about where the next meal is coming from, sometimes for their children. But the Democrat Party has drawn, drawn a big wedge between 
the rest of America and the black community. And Barack Hussein Obama Jr. is out front hammering that wedge deeper into American society every day with his rhetoric and the way he tries to present things as going down in America between the races. He is not a unifier as we all hoped he would be. He is a divider and a usurper who is using the black race, pitting them against the white race, and vice versa. This is no good for America. This is no good for the economy. This is no good for future generations. This is no good for our children or grandchildren, regardless of what race they are. Again, before I close the show today, I would like to ask the black community to really sit down and think it out. To really go over what you have been promised, what you have received, the lies that you've been told to by the Democrat Party, as far back as the Democrat Party goes, when it's been involved with the black community. You have been sold a bill of goods. And you can join us White folks, in many instances, have been sold a bill of goods as well. Our government has turned its back on all of us. We the people, black, white, green, and yellow. Like I've said on my show many, many times, we the people are on our own. But a new day is coming. A new day is coming in America. When we, as the American people, will have new leaders. A new leader in the White House. A leader that will understand the plight of the black community, the poor white community, Hispanic community, Asian community, all of us as Americans, who will throw his hat in the ring and represent us as a people, a united people of America. We have to live with what we have right now for just another 12 months or so. When Barack Hussein Obama Jr. will leave the White House and take his ideology of divisiveness, his ideology of socialism, socialism, his hatred towards Christians, he can take it with him when he leaves the White House for the last day. And when that day comes, I hope that all America will come together and rejoice. And I hope the man in the White House, come that January of 2017, will go by the name Mr. Donald Trump. A man that will unite us. A man that will come through on what he's promised. You've been listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show Wednesday edition. Getting after Lefty. I hope you've uh, enjoyed the program. If you have, you can drop me a line at garygatehouse at hush, H-U-S-H dot com. Let me know what you think. I get a lot of emails from Europeans. More so than Americans. Why, I don't know. So all you folks out there in the heartland, all you folks in flyover country, all you folks down south, all you conservatives in the United States... Black, white, green, or yellow, drop me a line. Let me know what you think about this show. If you have some ideas on how I should change it, 
Let me know that too. I appreciate your input. Until Friday, this is the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show wishing you all a great day. God bless you. God bless your families. God bless America. God bless our military. God bless all my patriots, all my brothers and sisters in England, all my brothers and sisters in Europe. I pray that you and your governments come together and work together and get rid of the plight that's hanging over your head now. Those Muslims that have invaded your countries. Until Friday, this is Gary Gatehouse saying, Good day.